This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are in the sort of dust-settling stage of the uh, 22 election, and I think it'd be time to sort of take back as the dust settles and ask big, broad questions, not so much about the specific winners and losers here, but at a broad level, what happened? And specifically, I think the interesting question, and it's one we've uh, uh, dealt with on a number of occasions, wither the Republican Party. But and we've talked about that before. But there's a new set of data, which is essentially that uh, we had what in historical terms was a big win for uh, for the incumbent president party. Relative to historical norms, the average over the last 40 years has been the out party picks up four Senate seats and about 30 House seats. Nowhere near that happened. Right. So uh, uh, our guest is Chuck Coughlin, my favorite big thinker here. And and you got a lot of you. You've been a Republican most of your life. Uh, yeah. you're, you're probably most of your friends are Republicans. Uh, they are. And 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 I suspect, though, that they are the kind of the interesting group in the We know where the hardcore Trump faction, the MAGA faction is. They're not going to change. But I think your your uh, exposure is more the rest of the sort of the mainstay, uh, you know, McCain country club Republican, the sort of the uh, I don't know, you know it's country club, well, but that's part the, of it. The, it the, it's inclusive the Rockefeller of the, Republican going back a ways. <laughs> Rockefeller. Oh, yeah. We're going way back. <laughs> yeah. Rock, Rockefeller McCain, I mean, yeah. which, which, you know, yeah. McCain used to define the conservative end of the I, Republican. I, I, yeah, party, I would say, you know, when I came out here in 86, I came out mm-hmm. to work for John from Ann Arbor, Michigan, from Ann Arbor. Michigan, a tough a place bastion, to find a, find a Republican. Yeah, my mother was a, uh, you know, a renegade in Ann Arbor, Republican. You know, when I came out here and I worked for John, John was the reason I was attracted to working for him because he talked about the big tent. He talked about the Republican Party being an opportunity party and promoted opportunity. And it was not caught up in an ideological abyss of, you know, uh, Obamacare and what programs were going to work and what weren't. It was about preaching opportunity, uh, an economy that list, lifted all boats, a, but, lo, a low tax economy. But to, but to be fair, he defined probably the most conservative wing, nearly the most conservative oh, yeah. wing of the Republican Party at the beginning of his career. Yeah, and and in foreign policy, clearly was. I mean, very was, muscular. Uh, you know. Fight the commies, high military defense budget, yep. Uh, yep. activist, uh, you know, yep. and, supported and, foreign engagement, yeah. which is the, the world. The world has changed. I mean, it's changed a lot over that time, um, you know, but what he got hung for with the Republicans was he got hung because of his vote against Obamacare. Um, you know, the famous thumbs down vote. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understood that very logically. There, the there was a vote against uh, or to, killing to, uh, Obamacare. Kill, kill Obamacare. So, so and, his vote, in effect, is the reason it. he preserved it. Yeah. And so but the reason he did that is because there was no alternative. The Republicans had come up with zero alternative. It was this or nothing. Mm-hmm. And he didn't accept that, which I didn't accept that either. I said, you know, there was a good reason to look at that policy in a substantive way and look at how many people 
were showing up in in hospital rooms around the country that had to have care that weren't being compensated. So it's charity care, which means it's falling over into the private insurance market where you're going to have to ask them to pay for it. And so, you know, he he's like, "Okay, that's a rational thing to think about. You know, maybe we up the the quota of people that qualify for access or Medicare." Um and and uh he chose to, you know, to vote against it and he got hung for that. And that that was the beginning of the end. Of, of that, even though Trump had already defiled him uh, and his reputation, that seems to me to be the defining thing. But it was about an idea. It was about what do we do, not nothing. And what the Republican Party has become is the party of no. We don't have alternative ideas. It's just a no. You know, we're going to shut down the border. Trump shut down the border. Okay. Well, what do you do about immigration then? Because we need a healthy immigration system. So they've just become this party of no. And as long as they're stuck, back to your intro question, as long as they're stuck in this rut of no, they're going to struggle trying to get an electoral majority because it's easy to be against something. It's You have to lead your party to be for something. And that's what Trump has failed to do. He's he's a consummate, um, you know, anti-marketing guy. You know, you're going to vote. It's it's your your con. You're against everything. And you call people names, which I never (laughs) – that's not my gig. Um, Nobody did that successfully till Trump. No, no. And so you just belittle people and you make people smaller. You know, that doesn't follow Christian ethos either. You know, that doesn't follow any Christian ethos either. It says, let no evil thing come out of your mouth. And these are just bad. And and so, you know, you you just – he's stuck – he is stuck in that, and he stuck the Republican Party in that mode. And until they break that, until there's conflict with that, until a guy like Ron DeSantis, maybe, can step up and confront that, the reality of that, until the Republican Party realizes, hey, look at what's happened under this guy. We've lost a midterm election, uh, you know, in 18. The, the Democrats got the, that, that. They lost the Senate in 20. And now, just as you said, in 22, under this auspices of leadership, they did not regain the House. I mean, they may regain the House by a very slim margin. And the Senate's uh, substantially the same. It was The election was uh, probably exceeded the Democrats' wildest expectations. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, you look at that and, and it's like Kelly Ward here in Arizona. You know, Kelly Ward has lost every election she's ever engaged in, and yet she's chairman of the Republican Party. You want to have a winner there. You want to have somebody that can lead and not just be no. And until the party um, breaks that out of that mold, they're going to continue to lose. Now, George Will, some year or so ago, said what what needs to happen to bring back the Republican Party is it needs to take a whopping and re uh, resurrect itself as the party of old wasn't a whopping in terms of losing seats big time but yeah. in the context of normal expectations for an off year election it was just that but yeah. but it's it's not the same as losing 40 seats no it's not and and we're going to see right we're going to see are we going to see some reckoning 
some internal discussions? I, I think you have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. Um, I mean, there's a there's a group of people that are talking about paying Donald Trump not to run. <laughs> and I'm like, that may work. That may work because you're dealing in a commodity of which he understands. And you, you give him money to stay home. Uh, and I believe, you know, he may look at that and accept that at the end of the day, um, because that's that that because if he's at the top of the ticket, I mean, and if Biden's at the other top of the ticket, I mean, we've run that play. You know, the problem I see with the money offer. Yeah. Uh, running for president, I think he sees as immunization against prosecution. That's probably true. And uh, but with a Republican run, you... president, you could get that. Okay, you could say we're going to put that well, the federal, Jerry Ford federal. play. We could fed for federal. Yeah, you yeah. could do the Jerry Ford play, and you could say, you know, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna pardon him. We're gonna move on. But he can't pardon against uh, state of Georgia, for example. He can't. Yeah. But you know, uh, you can. You know that that's the challenge. So he's he's gone so far above and beyond. Maybe once the that federal. Uh, danger evaporates, uh, people begin to realize we just need to move on. I mm-hmm. mean, because keeping him at the forefront of the nation's dialogue is not a healthy thing. That, that was the Gerald Ford move with Nixon. Yeah, and that was the right move and, to know, do. And, and it, looks, it looks better and better historically yeah. than it did at the time. Well, and arguably it cost him the election, right? It cost it, him and the Republicans got wiped out. And, yep. and, and of course then, the Biggest rule, you know, and and then a few years later, we got Ronald Reagan and a Republican Congress. The biggest rule in American politics is that of the pendulum. Any side that wins big is setting that they're going to be responsible for everything. And we're never happy with what we got. And and the out party always ends up back in. Jerry Ford, I mean, from Ann Arbor. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Grand Rapids guy, Ann Arbor, center of the Michigan Mm -hmm. line. He was always a guy who, you know, very humble and very... Let's take our lumps. Let's admit what our problems are. He allowed the Republican Party to experience that, and then that gave birth to Reagan. So somebody's yeah. got to do that. Yeah, the center's the guy you only notice that they screw up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like on Sunday, like, like a couple of weeks ago with the Cardinals, the guy snapping the ball over Kyler Murray's head. Yeah. Like, who is that guy? We, you know, did, we didn't like, even know the name, yeah, whatever. That, that's, that's not good. We'll be back with Chuck Coughlin in a minute in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Chuck Coughlin discussing the future of our politics, particularly the interesting discussion, which is the future of the Republican Party. I think a, a fair analysis of this recent electoral season, and I include the primaries, is the following. One, Donald Trump can get people nominated uh, for <laughs> office in in major uh, offices throughout the country. He's able to lift people from nothing and get them the nomination. Number two, most of those folks, except the ones, some of them that were in deeply red Republican districts, got beat in this fall. Uh, there's couple of exceptions you mentioned, yep. Lauren Boebert, who, who, who yeah. a, a neutral non-entity Republican would win right. in, that, in right. that seat. There's a couple of exceptions. But the broad swath picture is Donald Trump can get you nominated, and then, but then the kinds of folks he's nominating tend to get beat. Will there be discussions in the Republican Party, and how does that play out? Given the context that a party can't control it, and a candidate can come in, kiss up to Donald Trump, and be promised a nomination and a shot at an office. Right. I mean, it used to be back in the day, your party chairman, your your hierarchy of the party 
was not affiliated with a cult of personality. And that's not true anymore. You have these people that are cowed by Trump and unable to express their own opinion about things. And so eventually, that's what's going to have to happen. Somebody is going to have to grow with this Republican base that is out there that we see um, in the electorate, that we see struggling to vote for a um, uh, a, Demo- a Republican candidate of a MAGA um, a stripe. And how do we bring those people in? And how do you bring that part of the MAGA party that's so ensconced with him? And I think it really comes down to one thing. It's, 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 if it's DeSantis is the guy, um, is he going to look at people just like we were saying and say, he's going to lose. He's got a record of losing. He's a loser. If you vote for him, you're saying you want to lose the next election because he can't win. And then go down the history of it, the 18, the 20, the 20 cycle, the 22 cycle, and you just look at people and you say, I can win. And here's why I'm different. I like his policies. I like who he, what he stands for. I want to embrace those policies, but he cannot be the guy. And I'm the guy. I'm the new blood of the Republican Party. But somebody's got to say that. And so, and that's going to be tough because he's going to be there with his Louisville slugger, like taking your head off every single time. But you, as in politics, politics is the, the rep, rep, repetition is the mother's milk. You're going to have to hold on to that bat and you're going to have to swing it back. And the interesting thing about that, though, that's a very compelling carefully constructed rational argument but Donald Trump's appeal is emotional right and emotion usually trumps rationality it does but then you get to the winning part mm-hmm. that's the that's the that's the center of the cupcake right that's the that's the do you want to win or do you want to lose i i can see you bringing over sort of republican party officials with that argument but the MAGA the crowd, that's that's the tougher sell. Well, if you if you say to them, though, I'm embracing the policies, mm-hmm. I want low taxes, I want smaller government, I want responsible government, I don't want to be caught in Afghanistan, I'm concerned about our position in the Ukraine mm-hmm. and how intractable that may become and how we may be provoking some of these attacks ourselves. I don't want to back away from that. I want to support it. But I'm not, you know, I'm not so certain they should be a member of NATO. You know, I, I think that we, we need some room there. Mm-hmm. If you can begin to articulate some of those positions that support that worldview that that is largely the the policy construct of non-interventionism and small government and, of course, the cultural stuff. You know, I, I, I sorry, I'm going to offend some people here. I, I'm uh, you know, I believe there's men and women. Right. It's mm-hmm. biological. And so that's a big argument on the culture war out there. You know, if people choose to do that, that's cool. That's fine. That's who mm-hmm. they are. But and I'm willing to embrace that. I don't want to marginalize those people. But the science is the science. And so, you know, there's arguments to be made there where you can embrace the Republicans that are out there culturally and not not lose them to a more crazy person. The interesting component that I find of that litany is the foreign policy one, because I'm convinced that the number one guy who would have been out there muscularly supporting Ukraine would have been John McCain. Yeah, you're right. 
You're right. But there's a there's a substantive argument to be made here that we have we have fomented part of this problem, mm-hmm. right? With all of our embrace of I mean we should have been quietly in there putting an iron dome around the country, giving them but you know, tone down the rhetoric about you got to be part of NATO, you got to be well, part, you if, know. If you uh want to go back historically there to say where the origin, I don't think the origins are Ukraine. The origins are that we kind of made uh, a tacit uh, uh, agreement with Russia that we would not expand right. NATO, and we did just that. But and 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 you got to let Russia fall on its own, mm-hmm. which I sense is happening mm-hmm. internally. It's being it's being precipitated by what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. The crisis is fomenting that more more quickly. Um, but it was gonna happen over time anyways i mean i don't what follows putin i have no I, idea I, I, most of the analyses i've seen said be careful what you wish for because most of the guys lined up behind, behind him are, are worse are worse and and he will not follow slowly in a case like that if he goes it will be an overnight thing and he will be gone yeah and somebody else will be in this is not a process that's he's gonna open he's to, gonna have a trip to the daca yeah you know? yeah let's go see the daca yeah and and that's not going to be a, a long extended process of extrication no it, you, you know, when you when you threaten the king, you better kill him. But then he loses. The next guy doesn't have the authority that Putin does. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that if, if creates an cabal. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're they're not going to become peace and love and no. good neighbors. <laughs> and uh, we will return with Chuck Coughlin in just a moment, talking the future of our politics broad sweep with Chuck Coughlin in the think tank. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Chuck Coughlin. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is something that I think was, a I called it a sleeper initiative. It was buried in a long list of things, and it is something that I think will have consequence in this state basically forever until such time as it might end up be repealed and only but and that's a tough sell it was an initiative that on the face of it sounds like a a good thing it said uh, the people shall only have the power to uh, uh, do an initiative that would raise taxes if you get a 60 percent threshold yep and that sounds great because instinctively nobody likes taxes right but when you set a 60% threshold, what you are doing is we're never going to get that. I mean, you're, empowering any, the, you're empowering the minority. You, you uh, Basically, you, you're, the initiative is out as a mechanism for reforming the tax structure, basically. And you have removed the power of initiative from the legislature, from the people, and given it back to the legislature. And we have had a strong tradition in this state of initiatives whereby when the legislature was acting in a way that was well off the the center of gravity of the people and I can think of for example marijuana example of that the people were way out front the legislature wouldn't pass that today probably yep Uh, the people pass it overwhelmingly there's been a number and frankly tax initiatives we have 
regularly impose taxes on ourselves. And I, the criteria has always been, one, it's got to be clearly identified and it has to have a target that is a high priority. We've done that several times for education and several times for transportation. And when, well, I can yeah. think of another one. Um, so go back to the budget crisis in 2010, <laughs> 2009. And Governor Brewer sitting there as a Republican who's never raised taxes mm-hmm. and said, I, I got I got to I got to dig out of this hole. We have a giant economic hole. Um, she refused to cut three billion dollars from a, uh, a seven and uh, ten billion dollar budget. Catastrophic. At the time. It's a <laughs> catastrophic. Cut. It's like a go. Right. Home. <laughs> and she said, we're going to borrow a billion. We're going to raise a billion through a tax and we're going to um, cut a billion. She cut the billion and we couldn't get it. We couldn't get it to the ballot or the legislature because let's go back to that. So we've already passed a a law which says in order to raise taxes at the legislature, you need two thirds majority, which means it's never going to happen. Right. So you've blocked that out at the legislature. So she said, I wanted to raise a sales tax, a temporary sales tax for three years and put that on the ballot. We fought with the Republicans over that for a year and finally extracted a a vote that and was we didn't, in, they didn't have to pass the tax increase they just had to them. put it on the ballot and we finally got it on the ballot in May of 2010 the same year she's on the ballot in November we put it on the ballot we win with 58% of the vote that's a pretty substantial majority. That's a giant. There's not a whole lot. Right. And, but of course, obviously here, right. by the new law, that would have failed. Right. That's exactly my point. And so we've pinned ourselves into a hole um, where you're not going to be allowed to do that anymore. So I suspect the next time that this happens, you're going to have a repeal, a, a, a repeal of that move to the ballot at the same time and let the electorate decide whether to repeal that and then simultaneously pass could, a tax. Could that occur simultaneous? I think so. Uh, I, mean, I think would, so. Because if, if it had to be sequential, that's a four-year process. Right. And you could never handle right. an emergency. You'd make, it, you'd make it immediately effective. So you'd, you'd, you'd marry two things, not yeah. onto a single or you'd subject. you delay the yeah. implementation right. of the tax until such time as it's repealed. Mm-hmm. So prospectively, yeah. so, you'd raise mm-hmm. the tax. But yeah, that's a, it's a significant handcuff on state government. A handcuff um, on the people imposed by the people. <laughs> absolutely. And you're right. It sounds good. It sounds appealing. There was no campaign against mm-hmm. it. There was no real discussion about it. And so people just, you know, a majority of the electorate goes, yeah, that sounds like just you said, mm-hmm. you know, 60% to raise tax. That sounds pretty good. I don't, like, do ta- I don't like taxes. I don't like taxes. And this is the problem with the tax discussion. Nobody likes taxes, but you can't separate the discussion of taxes and what it's going to be spent on. That's one thing. That's exactly right. Eventually, you can borrow short term. You're not supposed to in Arizona, but there's ways around it. But eventually, you're going to pay for everything. Anything you spend, you're going to pay for eventually. So that means if you decide to spend, you are deciding to tax. And most every tax that we've worked on, and we've worked on a lot of them, that's why our Republican friends call us rhinos, because most of the signs down at High Ground are yes campaigns Mm -hmm. in favor of something. And uh, and so we because that's dispositionally who we are. We want to be for things. We don't want to be against things. Back to that McCain conversation at the earlier part of the conversation. And so we want to be for things. And so most everything we work on passes with 55 to 60 percent of the vote. Rarely do you see a tax proposal because 
of that entrenched Republican anti-tax crowd that's going to be for that. But you can win. That's you know, I told Jen when we were doing that in, in nine and ten, I said, put it on the ballot, we win. And she goes, Really? I'm like, seriously? And I go, Yeah, we've tested it. We get fifty-six to fifty-eight percent of the vote, and we got fifty-six at the ballot. So it was like, okay, we can do this. I think the context is the state of Arizona is a very low tax state. Yeah. A lot of stuff is being run on a shoestring. And so when you get to the point where you just can't run it on a shoestring, you need something else. The case it has usually been compelling. If we were a higher tax state, I mean, it's it's uh, it's California that passes like a Prop 13 thing, cutting taxes, right. because there you have a state that is a high spending state and people's instincts both ways are moderate. We want a decent level right. of public of public spending in California, the perception is that, uh, well, the objective reality is they spend at a higher level than we do. You argue about which which is better, but it's much easier in California to make the case that you need to curtail spending than it is in Arizona where it's already so Well, it's it's substantially curtailed (laughs) because the public finance stool is sales tax, income tax, and property tax. Well, the state has no property tax. So we've already taken mm-hmm. out one of the planks, and so you're con- entirely reliant on and on income tax, which, by the we've way, cut we've cut that down <laughs> to a flat tax of two and a half percent across the board, and then you're left with sales tax. And the sales tax is a perfect thing for Arizona's economy because we're such an importation. We're growing. I mean, mm-hmm. Mike. I mean. I moved out here in 85. There was cotton fields in Chandler and Tempe. And you just look now and you're like, oh, my God, the whole landscape has changed because everybody wants to move here, which is a perfect vehicle for the sales tax to capture Mm. all that growth. And it's, you know, it's you spend money, then you then you pay some tax on it. That seems equitable to people. But we have one of the highest sales taxes in the country. Well, we do. And, And there is a problem that I see with that, which is massively regressive. Right. And, and and you you want area where I would love to see uh, taxes cut, it would be take that off food. That would not eliminate, but it would reduce the regressivity, even if you have to. Well, right. Frankly, I'd rather see it be made up for with some less regressive tax. Right. And, and you know, there's been those conversations in very quiet policy rooms, that, you know, it, you know, do you offer a sales tax cut? In exchange, in exchange for a property tax for public schools, which exempts homeowners sixty-five and older, Mm -hmm. and does that make sense? You know, a moderate because the property tax generates a lot of revenue, Mm -hmm. so you don't really need to have a big one. But that's never gotten off the ground. Well, and you know this as as well as anybody. the The problem is that. the sales tax incorrectly is perceived as, oh, that's pennies and nickels and dimes. So right. I don't care about that. Whereas when I pay a property tax or an income, I am paying all at once big dollars. Yep. And even though over the course of a year, for people who objectively the sales tax hits way harder, even the people it. who who are screwed basically by the sales tax don't get it that they're paying more in sales tax because it comes in well, tiny little dribbles. And then, as we see, what the legislature does is exempt things from the sales tax, right? Mm-hmm. So they they carve out you know favored yeah. nation status for yeah. you know for uh, foreign trade zones. Yeah. So you know Intel and these big operations are not paying. 
on the ma- massive amounts of construction that they're doing. They're not paying the construction sales tax that they ought to be mm-hmm. paying, you know, that otherwise would have been coming. And they in. haven't carved out the one thing they should, which is food. Yeah. Because it's a well, basic necessity. That's a lake. That's yeah. a lake conversation. So mm-hmm. lake is talking about that right now. But there's only certain amounts of cities that do that, mm-hmm. predominantly smaller cities in Arizona that do it because the tax, the tax that food. tax food mm-hmm. because they don't have the sales tax base. And mm-hmm. so when does where does that money go? That money goes what what do most municipal budgets pay for? Police yep. and fire. Mm-hmm. That's that's, and that's more basic than fifty percent. Right, it's more than fifty percent of every municipality's budget is police and fire. So if you take away a major portion of their funding, as we as the cities mm-hmm. have communicated to Mrs. Lake, you got to replace that because it's not like we're going to make that up somewhere else. And so she has at least indicated to the cities and towns that she would replace that with state revenue, but. You know that's that's a that's a gamble because the minute the state economy turns down, then that gets cut. Did uh, you happen to see there was a candidate I think in California whose uh, campaign uh, chart uh, campaign signs were a graph of expenditures for various <laughs> things, and what it showed is, you know, police and correction way the overwhelming proportion of balance, and then everything else tiny, and basically said. You know, isn't this out of whack? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and he won. A, and he won. And that's a discussion to have. That's, I mean, we have a really high incarceration rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I worked for Governor Symington mm-hmm. in that era of getting rid of pardons and paroles, mm-hmm. you know, pardon and paroles, uh, and, and, you know, truth and sentencing. Um, and the argument then was that people weren't serving their time, that people were going in, and that was a blame on the crime rate going up and these horrendous crimes that you saw. And some of that was true. There was convicts getting out and creating additional yeah. crime. Yeah. And, but, you know, it, it's, uh, yes, you have to convince people that this isn't going to be at the expense of public safety. But you look at, yeah. you know, some of this, oh, let's throw the book at him stuff has gone. You know, if you have somebody that, uh, you know, ends up getting 20 years for something. Right. If you give them 30, you're not getting any safer because, frankly, no. uh, you want safety. Uh, keep male convicts in prison till they're past 30. I mean, I've talked <laughs> then to, they calm down. I've talked to a lot of prosecutors <laughs> um, and, you know, most would say that, Committing a, a, a felony with a gun. Mm-hmm. If you're committing a felony, then you're you're automatically on the track. Mm-hmm. If it's something else, then we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a property crime or something like yeah. that. Where if, it, if it's with a gun, you're putting people at jeopardy. That's the right. You know, and so that's an a, there's dividing. Sentencing. There's a dividing line there. Right. And so I think those are rational. Mm-hmm. I, and there's those conversations have mm-hmm. gone on, and I would expect to see something about that. Mm-hmm. In the next couple sessions of the yeah. legislature, there's a lot of people in because they're just messed up people. Well, drugs. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. got people. Drugs, huge part of it. It's yeah. a huge. It's a behavioral health problem, and mm-hmm. we're not treating those people. And so, mm-hmm. you need a different modality. You know, yes, maybe some sort serves, of mandatory treatment. Serve you know? some time. But then you're going to do this treatment, you're gonna, and you're going to do it in a custodial environment. You're going to do it in an environment where you don't have any choice about it. I mean, we, you know, our, our church has a massive number of people that come to it every day. You know, every Sunday, there's like four or five rows of guys that are in there, and you know what they're doing? They're just keeping their life straight, and they've mm-hmm. had trouble, and they're trying. We'll be back with Chuck Cl- Coughlin in a concluding segment in the think tank in just a moment. 
The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back here here with Chuck Coughlin, and we started this program talking about the whether the Republicans. Now, obviously, uh, there's another party out there. Yeah. And uh, what one party does impacts what another party does. Uh, What kind of and we have uh, for the Democrats. So the whether the Democrats is the final topic. And uh, in Arizona, uh, the interesting quirk in that is whether Kirsten Sinema. And okay, and yeah. we have, among other things, polls that I've seen showed that uh, she would have a severe problem right now uh, getting renominated in the Democratic Party. Right. I mean, it, it, there's a reason Arizona is the center of the political universe on all things right now. Mm-hmm. And she's one of them. I mean, she, her her crusade in the Senate to try and do things down the middle is costing her dearly with the most partisan of Democrats. Mm -hmm. And she's going to have to make a decision uh, in the cycle ahead. I mean, she's got two years. I mean, if she could get an immigration thing done, that'd be a big deal. That would be a significant deal. That would be proof of her concept. That would be proof of concept. I mean, she got the infrastructure deal done. Mm -hmm. Um, But is it proof enough to back away from the the support of the filibuster and not the voting rights stuff, abortion, you know, all of these things. Those and, positions were the death knell of the Democratic core agenda. Well, and that's the that's the problem, because um, we now see Congressman Gallego talking pretty boldly and loudly about, I'm going to do this. I'm well, going to go. Bolstered by polls that show that he would trounce her. Right. Because she's got a significant, as you said, popularity problem amongst Democrats. So the question then is... Does she choose that fight or does she run as an unaffiliated candidate for the Senate, thereby telling the Democrats pretty much you're going to lose because you'd think the Republicans will field somebody. Maybe Ducey comes back into the fold. Maybe maybe you get a centrist, you know, business oriented Republican that has a track record that, you know, finally he's he's seeing the tea leaves and he he's not on the right presidential train or whatever's going to happen there. And he chooses to come back or other Republicans choose to to exercise themselves. And then what do you have? You you have a guarantee if the Republicans can field a moderately 40 percent candidate that the Democrats are going to lose mm-hmm. because they're going to divide up. There's going to be the cinema voters. Mm-hmm. And maybe she's got a shot. Well, maybe she's know, got a shot. Show, polls show that uh, she's very popular amongst Republicans, but I do not expect them to vote for. That's perfectly analogous right. to John McCain, whose numbers were well, very, very high among Democrats who were never going to vote for. Him. Right. But then you got unaffiliated voters mm-hmm. now. And then, you know, not that it had happened in 24, but there has been discussion. I've been part of these discussions that talk about putting an open primary ballot on the initiative in tw- on the ballot in 24. Could she point to that and say that's exactly what mm-hmm. the reform is that we need? And so that would bolster that campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about that a lot uh, in circles that I've been in about, you know, because I believe that's the big that the, the problem we're talking about here is the very problem is let the entire electorate choose yeah. who they want to vote for. And that becomes easier to you had a, have had trouble explaining that because it seems unusual but we've had a number of states uh, adopt some variant of that yeah it's kind of like oh some years ago and, and it's still the case the uh, ranked choice voting 
Yeah. Which sounds like, oh my God, it, it makes sense when you understand it, but it's difficult to explain. A number of municipalities and states have implemented that. And as that becomes used in various places, you get over the problem of having explained what it is. I think uh, it's up in Nevada. I think it passed in Nevada. Mm -hmm. I got to go back and look at that, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure it passed in Nevada um, in this cycle. So they'll be using it. Nevada is a contiguous state to us. It's very familiar to us. You'd say, Nevada did it. Why can't we do that? I I should take a second and explain, or you want to explain what that is real quick. Well, it's it's an open primary where everybody has the same signature requirement to get on the ballot. There isn't, and anybody can sign anybody's petition. And you are on the ballot. And then in the first primary election, you vote for whoever you want. You know, there's no aisle. You know, it's not a Soviet grocery store where you have to choose aisle A or aisle B. You get to choose amongst the entire free market. Everybody competes. And you choose that your best candidate. And then under a instant runoff system. Which is a which is a ranked choice. Yes, same thing. and they call it instant runoff is in that uh, you, 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 the, the top four or five voters, uh, the people get the top four or five votes in that in that open primary, then run in the general and then the electorate ranks them. So it's an instant runoff. You don't have to keep going back to get to 50%. Which allows a libertarian, for example, to cast an expressive vote for a candidate that they know isn't going to win, but then that will get thrown out after the first round and get reassigned to your second choice. So that's a perfect example in the race we just had with Masters, Kelly, and Mark. Mark withdrew from the race, but he still got 2% of the vote. The argument is that 2% of the vote would be very helpful for a Masters candidate. Mm -hmm. And so does Masters become the second choice for all of those uh, all of those candidates? And it is Mark still below 50 percent of the electorate. Then it's a runoff and and you you instant runoff. And so then you do that victors in the general election. And so then you have. Uh, Mark's second place votes would go to would go yeah. to Masters. Masters would have won. I love there being a second bite at the apple yeah. because you can use the the initial primary to get it. When it, say you got fourteen candidates for some open office, you want it down to some smaller number, yeah, two or three or something, so that the voters a small enough number that the voters can actually focus on those candidates but who actually have a chance of winning. The biggest thing that that does is what I find and what has been proven to be true is it changes the narrative of the campaign. Instead of dumping binary on, like, I'm running against you, Mike, you're the worst person ever, blah, 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 blah. I have to talk about me because I want your second place yep, vote as well. Yep. It changes and, the entire narrative. And and, and that is, a ben- it, we'll talk, uh, undoubtedly not our last discussion no. about political reform. Thank you, Chuck Coughlin. You want to reach me? The website is mikeoneal.org. Uh, we will be back next week with, uh, well, probably next week is going to be, uh, we'll do a best of for Thanksgiving week. We'll pick out something really good from out of the archives. See you next week.